speech. <laughs> All right, we've got like this massive cake. Chris Norton, like the biggest cake they have at Safeway. So that'll be back after church today. We'll carve up slices. And I know everybody's like, whoa, cake. It's almost like breakfast time, but it's December. It's the time for caloric intake, right? All right, take time just to greet each other and say hi to somebody new. And the elementary students are dismissed. Good job, Felix. Question for you, real yes, quick. Do you know when we're doing the drawing? I don't. You don't? Okay, I'll ask All right, just a quick plug. If you guys grabbed one of these when you come in, one of our connection cards, please feel free to fill this out. Just let us know you're here today. If you have any prayer requests, uh, just let us know about you. And uh, you're up. Thank you, sir. You got them. Well, wow. Um, I was totally surprised. Thank you guys so much for um, the cake and the sneak attack. I really appreciate that. <laughs> so glad to have you guys here with us today. Um, we're going to continue a series here we're doing entitled Christmas at the Movies. Christmas at the Movies. Um, if you have your Bibles, I want to ask that you would uh, start flipping to the book of Matthew, the sixth chapter. And while you're flipping there, I'm going to pray for us real quick. Uh, Father God, we thank you for your grace. We thank you for your mercy. We thank you for your love and your kindness. We thank you, Father, for how you watch over us and that you look after us, Father. Open up our hearts and our ears to receive your word, to receive your truth. Let us dwell in your presence. Let us uh, be filled by your Holy Spirit, Father. Use these moments to open up our eyes, to know you and to experience you at deeper levels. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We have, uh, for your wonderful enjoyment, just one verse today. So if you could please stand with me. You won't be on your feet too long. The book of Matthew, the sixth chapter, and we'll be reading one verse, verse 21. Wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will also be. Amen. You can be seated. That was real quick, right? So we've been doing this series entitled uh, Christmas at the Movies, and so we've been looking at different movies. Um, this week, we're looking at one of the greatest movies of all time in my top five which is How the Grinch Stole Christmas. How the Grinch Stole Christmas. Um, as we're looking and going through this study, we're kind of doing this comparison of, of God's word versus this movie and kind of pulling out some of the uh, characteristics and attributes and those kind of things. And so we get to this great, wonderful movie, probably Jim Carrey's greatest movie besides Ace Ventura, um, <laughs> The Grinch <laughs> Stole Christmas. And if you're not familiar with the story, let me kind of give you some background of what's happened. Um, this green guy, the Grinch, um, in this movie is this little bitty fella, and he goes to the town of, of, Who, of Whoville, and he's in there, and he's living, and he's doing life, but people are just messing with him. 
They're picking on him. They're not loving on him. They're giving him all kinds of blues. He doesn't look the same. Uh, his color is slightly off. Um, he's just not the same kind of guy. He doesn't look like everybody else. And he begins to get teased and ridiculed and talked about to a point where he decides that he's just done with the whole town and he moves himself up into the mountains. And he is a mean, nasty, cantankerous little fella. And he is just bitter to the core and people can't really, they don't really get him and they don't like him and he doesn't like them. And so all of a sudden, this young lady comes by and she starts saying, let's love on this guy, the Grinch. And she's just constantly, let's love on him, let's bring him back to the town, let's get him involved with the community. And he doesn't want to do it and he hates the people because the people have been so mean to him. And finally, through this process, he realizes he really, really, really hates the people. He comes into their town one night and he steals all of their Christmas presents and he hides up on a mountain and the Grinch is the Grinch and he steals Christmas in that format. And there's more story to it, but that's kind of the gist of it. There's two real big issues with the Grinch. And I want to kind of deal with the first, uh, the second biggest issue before we get to the first one. Um, the second biggest issue with the Grinch, if you even listen to the song, is that his heart was three sizes too small. Do you guys remember that? You're a mean one, Mr. Grinch. Remember the song? <laughs> it's a horrible song. But it goes down, and it says the problem with the Grinch is his heart is literally three sizes too small. It means that life has been so tough and so difficult that he has diminished in the ability to love. He's diminished in the ability to care. He's diminished in the ability to be loving and kind and helpful and respectful. He just doesn't have it in him to care anymore about people, about things, because his heart is two, three sizes too small. Life has a way, if you let it, of beating you down to you just don't what? Care. Life has a way of weighing on you to a point where you cannot physically, emotionally, mentally uh, care anymore. You just don't have the capacity. You just don't, you don't want to love anymore. Like it's been so much drama and so much pain and so much heartache and so much frustration that I literally just don't care. I'm trying not to cuss this morning. I literally just don't and I can't and I'm not going to. Life has a way of diminishing the love we have in our hearts. We're abused and we're bruised by family, by friends, by entities, by circles, by situ uh, situations, circumstances. And after a while, we just don't care. And the Grinch's problem was his heart was three sizes too small, not because he wasn't a loving guy, because he really tried. If you ever saw the movie, he had a girl he was really interested in. Does anybody remember this movie? Man, he, he was in love with her. He had a heart full of love. But people kept dropping on him and bringing him down to a point where his heart just lost the love. That was his second biggest problem. His first biggest problem is a problem that you and I have, which is very similar to when we're not able to have that same love. It's in Matthew 6.21. This is what it says. It says, where your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will be also. His issue was that his heart, his desires what were important to him and significant to him were that people accepted him. He was so worried about fitting in. He was so worried about, I don't look the same. I don't act the same. I want people to like me. I want this girl to like me. Everything was revolving around the people. His treasure, his desire was that people would love him. And when they didn't love him, he took all of that hurt and that pain and he went up to the top of his little mountain and then he made everybody the object of his bitterness. Are you guys with me? 
Come on, y'all seen the book, seen the movie? Come on, man. It was early in the morning. But he takes all of his desire, all of his pain, all of his hurt, all of his heart, and he puts it into this mountain inside, and he sits there, and he's just bitter on every single person because nobody gave him the love and the time and desire he wanted. And so now it became the object of his heart. It became his desire. It became his purpose to realize if you don't love me, then I'm not loving anybody else. His focus was on the people, and it wasn't on the right thing. Our hearts will always become Three sizes too small when our heart and our time and our treasure and our passion is on any and every other thing other than God. And so I want to share with you four things to do to increase the size of your heart. I want to share with you four things to do to get rid of this Grinchy mentality. That's a new word. We're going to start using that next year. This Grinchy mentality. Sit down, you old Grinch. I'm going to start saying to people, you Grinchy self. So all this is Grinch mentality. Just we're going to start sharing on how to increase the size of our hearts, how to get this love back, how to get this passion back, how to love in a way where our hearts are not bound by circumstances, situations, past, people, jobs, churches, relationships. It, it grows beyond that. That we would have this heart that is in the right shape, the right posture, the right position. Here are your four things I want to share with you today. In order to be able to really experience a life where you break free from this Grinch mentality, this Grinch uh, mindset, he says you have to do four things. One of those first things is, number one, have a cheerful heart. Proverbs 17.22 says this. A cheerful heart is good medicine, but a broken spirit saps a person's strength. It says that a cheerful heart is good medicine. It is the healing factor to what allows you and I to be successful. It is the healing factor, the healing ointment that allows us to move on in life. And if we do not have a cheerful heart, we will constantly be sick, bruised, and bitter. You have got to find joy in this life. Now, for some reason, I am a very sarcastic person. No, right. And if it wasn't for that sarcasm, it would not get me to the moments of understanding how to get past situations. I had someone text me today and say, hey, here's a problem at church that we're having while we're setting up. And I literally said, well, let's surprise me when I get in, LOL. Most people would say, oh, no, what is the great drama? I'm kind of like, well, let's figure it out. We'll figure it out when we get there together. Like, I'm not going to spend my whole life revolving or my whole moment. This is the big day for us. I'm not going to let the big day be ruined by this thing. So I found out what the thing is, and we'll make it work. We'll, we'll figure out how to get past it. You've got to start getting to a place where you can find joy over each and every situation that you face. If not, each moment will become a heavy weight that crushes you. I'll say it again. If you're not able to find joy in every moment of life, even the toughest and the hardest moments, if you can't find a way to smile, a way to laugh, a way to say, let me change my perspective of thinking, each and every horrible moment will be a moment that crushes you to the core. Let me help you out. <clears throat> James uh, verse 1, 20, uh, 2 through 5 says this, Dear brothers and sisters, when trouble comes of any kind your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. You hear that? I'll let you write it down. James 1, 2 through 5 says this. Dear brothers and sisters, when trouble of any kind comes your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. 
For you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. So let it grow. For when your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect and complete, needing nothing. God says that when these trials and troubles come your way, don't look at it as the worst moment in life. Look at it as an opportunity to become more successful. Look at it as an opportunity when your, when your relationships start to fall apart. Look at it as an opportunity for me to come back to God and pray a little bit more, talk a little bit more, worship a little bit more. I don't like it. I don't want to be involved in it. But at least it gives me back to God. Whew. Good gracious, it's tight today. He says when these problems come your way, don't count it as a huge frustration. It is, but also count it as an opportunity to find joy that you are able to come back to God. There are some times when life sucks and I realize life is horrible and it's tough, but if it wasn't for that, I would have not gotten to a posture of praying. I would not have started coming. In fact, how are you guys doing? It's good to see you all here at church. The main reason why most of you guys are here at church is because somewhere in life it got really tough, and you said, I need to try this what Jesus thing. Life got really tough, and you said, you know what? I'm going to start going back to what? Church. And it's in the tough moments that when you started experiencing God, you started experiencing what? Joy. And so he says, even in these tough, hard moments and seasons of life, don't be so focused on the tough moments that you missed out on finding the opportunity to connect with the Father and find joy with the Lord. He says that when we start purposing that we're going to start having joy in our lives, when we start saying, listen, I'm going to celebrate even the good moments just as much as the bad moments, he says that's medicine, that's healing, that's fixing, that's working this heart that's going to start this heart to grow a little bit bigger. I'm in the movie and the text. And so then he says, right, he says, point number two, he says, a clean heart. Psalms 51 verse 10 says this. Create me a clean heart, O God. Renew a loyal spirit within me. It says, in order for me to start to get this heart right, I need this medicine. I need to find joy. I need to experience God on these higher levels. But the only way I'm going to experience him, the only way I'm going to start to grow, the only way I'm going to start to really know who God is, is when I get into this posture, when I say, God, create in me a clean heart. It's a very interesting word because this word gives the idea of chopping down a tree and whittling or whittling down wood. He literally says that I want you to begin to work in me in a way where you're starting to chop away the edges and the rough parts, that you're removing and sanding the hard parts, that you're getting me to a place and a posture where I am looking like, feeling like, walking like, talking like, acting like you. He says, I want you to create in me a clean heart. Any area where there's dirtiness, filthiness, hard times, a raggedness where I've been hurt, where there's pain, shape my mind that I can change. I was talking to somebody a few, few days ago, and we were talking about apologies. And we were like, I was talking to this marriage couple, actually, and I was telling them, I said, listen, if your husband, if he doesn't apologize to you, does that mean you can't move on with life? I understand that you feel like you deserve an apology. But if they don't apologize, can you still be happy? Because the apology only says I acknowledge what I've done, but I can apologize and not mean it. So 
does my apology really carry the weight that would set you free to live life the way you want to live? It's because you heard it and you took it in that you process the apology as them acknowledging whatever the issue was. And because they acknowledge it, now you're free. You made the decision to be free because they apologized. So if they didn't apologize, could you still make the decision to be free? Mic check. So literally, you determine the altitude in which you're going to soar. I want the apology because the apology will set me free. You decided to be free based upon the apology. So if the apology is never given, can you still be free? Created me a clean heart that my mind is not based upon the issues of the past. My heart is not based upon the problems of today and yesterday. Created me a clean heart that I can soar regardless of the circumstance or situation. Created me a clean heart that it doesn't matter what they say or what they do. It hurts. It bothers me. But I'm not going to let their issue determine who I am. Though I've been hurt and I've been wronged, Father, would you just kind of cut that away there's this book the greatest book ever written well it's the greatest book ever written in my opinion it's called The Giving Tree if you haven't read The Giving Tree it'll change your life Here's this huge tree, and this young man says, oh, I want to hang from your branches. And so he lets him hang from his branches. Oh, I want to do this, and this tree gives him this part of him. He says, oh, I want to do this, and this tree gives him this part of him. And the guy says, oh, I want to, I want to build a house, and he gives him his part of his body. And this tree gives and gives and gives and gives and gives. There's nothing left but a stump. And that boy who's been married who is now old, comes back to the giving tree, and the tree says, I have nothing left to give you. I'm just a stump. And the old man says, well, I just need a seat. Can you create in me that I can still give and sacrifice and change and still be useful? Even though things have hurt me and wronged me, can I still cut away these parts to still be what? Useful. If you let life make you so bitter that you are a Grinch in the mountains, they can't open your mouth to say Merry Christmas or Happy Birthday or I love you or hey, good to see you. You got a problem. And it's not that life didn't hurt you or wrong you, because it did most likely. But it's can you operate and move and ask God to create in you a clean heart to cut away those parts that you can still be useful and successful, creating me a clean heart. Number three says... Not only do I need to be created a clean heart, but I need a heart full of love. Romans 5, 3, 3, 5 says this. We can rejoice, too, when we run into problems and trials, for we know that they help us develop endurance. And endurance develops strength of character, and character strengthens our confident hope of salvation. And this hope will not lead to disappointment, for we know how dearly God loves us because he has given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with his love. Rejoice when you run into problems, when you run into trials. These things help us to, to develop endurance. The endurance develops strength, character, strength, our confidence, our hope of salvation. It says that all of these issues in life are here to make you stronger. 
You guys with me? So we got the kids in track. Football season's over. It's track season. I want you to, want you to stay in track because we need you to, to work on your speed, work on your strength. The biggest issue was about three years ago, we didn't have kids in any sports after fall. There was no cheerleading. There was no football. And those kids increased by 30 pounds. And then when football, because they did nothing, they ate, ate Cheerios and, and played video games. And when it was time for football season, it was so much more work. It was the same activities, but they were so tired. Why? They put on 30 extra pounds. Muscles had turned into flab. Slap it and just watch it go. It's just all this, there's nothing there. There's nothing happening. Nothing going on whatsoever. And so they had to go back. They had to lose all of this weight working out, and they ended up being 10 pounds more than they were before the last season when the season was over. You with me? And so it's in this process of working out. It's this process now that we have them in track, and Tyler's like, I love track. It's so much fun. I get to run. I said, that's good. I love your attitude. It's wonderful. He feels like the fastest thing in the world. Those braids, those dreads are just flapping in the wind. He feels great. And Friday, uh, Saturday, he went to workouts, football, lifting weights. <laughs> Sunday, he went to track, and he got home Sunday night. He said, I don't want to go to track no more. I said, what's wrong? He said, everything hurts. It hurts when I walk. It hurts when I sit. Everything hurts. I said, but you said you love track. He said, I don't love it anymore. I want to stop track. I said, we got one more day of practice for the next break, so tomorrow, suck it up, champ. It's track again. <sighs> and he goes up the steps. <laughs> Goes to the, and it hurts, and it's painful, and it's work, and it's sweat, and you're sore, and already those sweatpants are sliding off. I got to put a double knot in those things. Because what we're understanding is the more work you put into something that hurts, the more work you put into something that doesn't feel good, you come out better. And so he says this, I need you to understand that I am using life circumstances to actually make you better. It may hurt, it may not feel great, it may not feel wonderful, but these moments bring us back to the cross, these moments bring us back to Jesus, these moments bring us back to clarity. Man. Vanilla Briscoe. What the heck is a veneer briscoe? This is way before, way before my beautiful wife. Veneer briscoe was something special. Pretty green eyes, and we'll stop there, Jake. Pretty green eyes, and all wonderful and lovely and smelling like summer on a wonderful day when it's morning dew, blah, blah, blah. Veneer briscoe broke my heart on a Friday. She actually broke my heart on a Thursday night, but I'm a petty guy. So I went to the bank on Friday morning, and I withdrew our money that we had in our account. And I took my half, and then I took her half, and I put it in an envelope, and I took her keys that I had to her place, and I walked in her place, and I went to her dining room table, and I put her money and her keys on her table, and I locked the door behind me, and I left out. So I was petty. I want to let you know that if we're done, I say we're done. She called me Friday afternoon crying. Let's talk. Let's work it out. Maybe we did some things wrong. Let's talk. By the time I got to her house Friday evening, 
She was cold and bitter again. Little grinchy looking so. Nasty green eyes. And Friday when I sat in her living room trying to work it out and she was all cold and separate and distant and didn't want to talk to me and I miss Briscoe and I, she wasn't even Benita, she's just Briscoe. And I, said, I left out and I got to the corner of her street. Could have gone that way or that way. And I took the car that way to a Friday night church service. And I sat down in that church and I listened to the message. It didn't resonate with me, but I wasn't leaving. And I hung in that church and I sat in that church and one guy walked up to me and he started talking to me about life choices, direction, path, goal. Don't let one thing stop you. Get yourself together, son. There's bigger and better things. Life can be X, Y, and Z. And from that moment, my whole focus was to figure out who Jesus was and what his call was for my life. You can let the trials of this life break you down, and you can go crawl up, curl up into a ball and hide in a cave somewhere and have the most grinchy mentality or attitude, or you can sit down and do what this verse talks about, which understanding that life is going to be tough, but it does those things to make you stronger. And it brings you to a point where God pours out his love on and in you in a way that you experience him, in a way that you feel his Holy Spirit, the way that you get to know him and connect with him and dwell in his presence. It says that God pours out his love on us in a way that we feel and recognize his presence. The only person that can turn off the tap is you. Wow. Thank you. Wow. The only person that can turn off the tap of God pouring his love. This word says, I'm going to pour my love. It's going to drench all over you. He says, I'm going to drench this love all over you till you experience me in a way that God's Holy Spirit has no other choice but to dwell in you richly and mightily. The only way that you don't experience his Holy Spirit pouring on you is that you get to turn off the tap. Did y'all catch that? The only person that gets to turn off the tap is you. And the only person that gets to determine how much of that is going to pour on you, how much of his love is going to pour in you, is you. And if we let life's choices and life's situations happen to a point where we just turn off the tap, that's not a God problem, that's a you problem. That's a me problem. Every time I do a marriage counseling... I sit there and I say, what you need to do? Here's the plan. Let's draw it out. Let's script it out. You're going to do better. You're going to be better. You're going to live better. Every time I get finished with marriage counseling, I sit in my car right before I start the engine and I say, I need to do better at what I just told those people they need to do better at. I am telling them how to open up the tap to rekindle this. I'm telling them how to be successful in their marriage, and I'm not hitting that mark pretty good right now. And so God says, listen, Open up, open up the tap that you can pour into you and, and let me pour my spirit into you that you can pour into your wife. And at times there's moments when I'm just here doing my job, trying to get another couple to be successful again. And God says, are you cranking on all cylinders? And that's because God's spirit is pouring in and saying, I want to change this heart of yours. That just because you know how to teach it doesn't mean you're fully what? Living it. 
I hate preaching some Sunday mornings. Like, man, I got a good message for everybody, and probably by point three, I'm crying. Because <laughs> I'm saying, I'm preaching it, but that, where am I? Where is God's love? Yeah, I'm about to talk about it. I'm about to talk about it. I got a half brother. Man, we don't talk at all. We don't talk at all. My dad introduced us the wrong way. We didn't connect for the last 15 years the right way. This has been a mess. My dad set up a lot of bad things in that scenario. My brother texted me this morning and says, happy birthday, little brother. And I laugh because I'm like, dude, I don't even know you like that. You're older than me, but whatever. And he says, man, I just want to let you know I love you. I care about you. Um, I know our lives are busy. Our schedules are busy. But man, we got to connect one day and get together. I love you so much. Hopefully I'll hear from you soon, which means happy New Year's. <laughs> and I sat in the car and I thought to myself, if I can make time to meet all of these people, why can't I make time to meet with my brother? It's because there's a part of me that's kind of turned off the valve in one area. Dad didn't do things right. He didn't introduce the relationship right. He didn't let me know there was a half brother right. He didn't do mom right. He didn't do he didn't do uh, my brother's wife, uh, my brother's uh, uh, mother right. He, he didn't do things right. But I'm ultimately the one that's now at this age where I can open up or shut down the valve, and I've kept the valve shut. If God's spirit is pouring out, I gotta I gotta flip this top open and say, listen, let's make time to make time happen. Are you, eh, whatever, fine. <laughs> Just preach it to myself this morning. That's fine. The last one he says is this. He says, a heart filled with his word. Psalms uh, uh, 119, verse 11. I have hidden your word in my heart. That might not sin against you. He says, I've hidden my word in your heart that you might not sin against me. Man, there are times when life is just not fair and relationships don't play out the way you want and dreams don't happen the way you dream them. And you've purposed things and you've hoped things and you've believed in things and you've desired things and they don't happen the way you wanted. They didn't look like the way you visualized them. And so that heart becomes small. That heart wants to shrink a little bit in those moments. And God says in those moments is when you go, to where my, my word is hidden. It's hidden in your heart that when you feel weak, when you feel low, you crack open that heart and you say, listen, here's God's word. Please speak to this particular issue in my heart. And God says, instead of it shrinking, I'm going to keep it the same size. And you keep reading. I hope you overcome those moments when you want to shrink. He says, it's because the word's hidden in my heart that when these moments of tough times come, I go and reflect back on who his word is. I go reflect on his truth, who his character, who his essence, who his promises are. And I use those moments that are hidden deep down in my heart. And I pull it open and I say, apply it to this problem, please. And it helps. Zeph went to take this placement test to get into all of these high schools that he can go into. And got him this little... This little cheap bag, this, this plumer bag that you just slip on, you pull the strings. And I said, here's what I'm going to do. They said you need snacks. So we're going to give you, uh, you have three pencils, don't eat those. And you're going to give you a, a pencil sharpener. That's going in there. Be careful with that too. Don't put that in your mouth. And, and, and we're going to give you a huge bottle of water. 
And, and we're going to give you six. We're going to give you this box of eight, uh, these little granola bars. You've seen that. That's not, not going to work. But these granola bars we're going to put in your box. And so each break they gave them, they had an opportunity to get a snack. So Zeph gets into his, his break, pulls out his granola bar, and eats. And he works for another hour. It's like a five-hour test or something stupid. <laughs> so he gets another break, and he goes to that granola bar, eats another one, bam, it's down. If you're doing math, that's six. And so, and so he goes back into that bag again on the third break, another granola bar, bam, three granola bars. And he goes out, and one of his teammates is taking the test, too, to get into this particular uh, school, but it also allows you in all these other schools. And so his teammate comes and he says, man, I'm starving. You got any more of them granola bars? And Zephyr just right in. He looks like Oprah. You get a granola bar. You get a granola bar. He's whipping granola bars out. Everybody's getting a granola bar. And it's something about when you're feeling weak and hurt that you can reach inside this box and pull out something to give you nourishment. That when you feel like life is crushing you and you feel malnourished and you feel like life is, is surrounding you and you are suffocating and you feel empty, that you can reach into your heart and find God's word and apply it to the issue that's desiring to be nourished. And when you can give it to life, when you can give it back to life, life has a way of backing up off of you. Hunger has a way of backing off of you. Depression, sadness, horribleness, uh, uh, these, these relationships didn't work. They have an issue of, of backing off of you when you can reach down into your bag and give it something. When you can give it this word and say, I'm applying it to this problem. And if you can do that enough, not only will you be satisfied and full and nourished, but you'll have enough for what? Other people. Oh. And so he says, you will become so nourished that you in your tough times can still say, I have something for you. When I'm frustrated and struggling and hungry, I still have something for you. And so when Zeph gets out of the test, that many of you are, you and I are in this life test that we get, he gets into the car. And Tyler, who's been riding around with me all day while we've been doing stuff, waiting for Zeph to get out of this test. Tyler's in the car and he says, I'm sure I am hungry. I said, dude, we're going to get something now to get your brother. I've told you this 12 times. My voice went that high. Times, I don't understand. It's your problem. And Zeph says, don't worry, here's a little something to get you to the meal that's coming. Are y'all with me? And he reaches back in his bag and says, I'm full. Somebody else was benefited off of me being full and having something in my treasure. You can have something too. And he gives his, don't give his brother anything. <laughs> Gave his brother something to hold him until the next big meal. Man, when we start living in a life where we understand we have this treasure, this, this vast pocket of, of life where we can tuck God's word and his truth in our hearts, even when it gets tough and difficult, we can still reach in and say, I'm all right, I can make it, I can survive, and I can pass something else to somebody else. If you hide God's word in your heart, in the tough seasons, your heart won't diminish your heart won't shrink. You'll be able to grow and thrive in the tough moments. Here's a big wrap up. Marty, you ready? Here's a big wrap up. Here's your takeaway. All these wonderful four points is tough message. I'm talking about change your life and don't focus on the bad stuff. I know it's a tough message. You're zoning out. You want the cake over there. Just hold on. Your takeaway, remember God's kindness. Romans 2 
the latter part of verse 4 says this, um, can't you see that his kindness is, in, is what? Intending to turn us from your sin. It says his kindness is pulling us from his sin. It's his kindness that brings us back into this relationship of reconciliation. It's his kindness that helps us understand how great he is when we are so weak. It's his kindness that helps us remember how powerful and how merciful and how gracious he is. Even though we are in the hardest times of our life, when life has become such an issue that we've made it our sin, that we've made it our hatred, our bitterness, our, 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 our us being conceited, he says when all of that's taking place, he says it's his kindness that constantly reminds us to come back to God and have relationships relationship with him. It's his kindness that reminds us to let that heart grow. What is your point? Cindy Lou Who is my point. In this movie, Cindy Lou Who says there's a guy in the mountains who nobody is loving. And she knocks on his door and says, I'd like to love you. And he says, go away. And he pulls the trap door and she falls. He does all these miserable things to Cindy Lou Who. And Cindy Lou Who keeps coming back and inviting him back to relationship, back to connection, back to being part of the crowd, back and back and back. And even when he stole all of the presents at his worst moment, she's still crawling, crying out to him, Mr. Grinch. And even at the height of his worst thing that he's ever done, where he has all the presents packed in the bag, she is sitting on top of the presents and saying, I came to see you to wish you Merry Christmas. Even in his worst and darkest moment, it's the kindness of Cindy Lou that brings him back into right relationship with the town, with the community, with himself. It's God's Holy Spirit in his presence that constantly keeps knocking at our door when our hearts are three sizes too small. This says, I want to bring you back to where you need to be back to connection, back to relationship, back to this consistent lifestyle where your heart ought to grow two and three and five sizes bigger. It's God's kindness that constantly speaks to us even today when we thought about the issues we want to shut down, people we don't want to talk to, folks we hate, and how we're going to put our lives around this whole circumstance that we've caused because of bitterness. He says, I want to knock on the heart of, of your door. And I want to invite you back into a relationship. It's this kindness when we want to shut down. It's this kindness when we want to close the door. It's this kindness when we are hurt. It's this kindness when we're in pain. It's this kindness when we are frustrated. It's this kindness when we are in bitterness. It's this kindness when we are in distress. It's this kindness when we are just in all utter disgust. It leads us back to the Father. It's your kindness that leads us to repentance. And when you can begin to say, Father, they were wrong. Father, I viewed it wrong. Regardless of who's wrong, create in me a heart where I can love again. Where I can live again. Where I can believe and hope again. It's in that moment. We find Jesus and we find peace and we find rest and we find growth to be what he's called us to be regardless of what's around us. As the band comes up, let's pray.
Father, it's by your grace, it's by your kindness that you bring us back to you. Let's not get caught up anymore in who said what or how they said it. We may have issues we need counseling through. We may have issues where we have to deal with this hurt and pain. But don't, don't let this be an issue anymore. Increase our hearts to love you. Increase our hearts to trust in you. Increase our hearts to live again. Father, let this be this moment when we take communion. That this is the moment where we say today we trust you. Today we leave our issues at the table. Today we begin to deal with our hurts and our pains. Let this be the moment where we come back to you. Where we celebrate your body being broken and your blood being shed for our sins. Let this be the moment where we commit, where we commune, where we have holy fellowship with you. Let this be the launching point for new and better life. In Jesus' name.